We have been looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And um, it's a letter he wrote them while he was in prison. Uh, it's a tough place to be, particularly um, for them. It's a discouraging and depressing situation. I have been uh, to Allen County Jail to visit uh, people, and I was on a tour there uh, with the chaplain's department before. And as I walked around that place and you know saw the cell blocks with the prisoners in there, and as I had to, as I was meeting with some prisoners, uh, you know, they bring you into a little room. Uh, the the uh, I think it's called the attorney's conference room. That's where we end up. And they um, quite often then bring the prisoner in there and chain them to the wall. They, you know, with handcuffs and shackles and things. Uh, and I thought to myself, why would you ever want to come back here? You know, why would you ever want to come back? Now, the sad part in our society is that that that's uh, better than home for some people. Um, but in their society, it definitely was not better than home. Uh, because it was not only a place of confinement, uh, very often it was a place of abandonment, uh, where they, they, they wouldn't come in and, you know, take care of you like, uh, happens in, in jails today. Uh, you were out of it. You were pulled out of society and you were on your own. If your family didn't take care of you or if you didn't have family, uh, pretty much it was too bad about you. Uh, you know, and, uh, so this is where Paul is at. Uh, he, well, he was in prison here. He's quite possibly under house arrest um, when he writes this letter. Uh, but yet throughout the whole letter, Paul reminds his family, the church, he's reminding his family to rejoice, to take great joy right where they are. Even though he was in much less than ideal conditions, he was telling them, and calling them, calling us really, uh, still to be able to rejoice. Now, as we've been going through this book, we've been looking at reasons that we can rejoice as we see what Paul was sharing with, uh, with the Philippians at that time. We see how in our time we still uh, can and are called to rejoice. It's an important thing. And again, regardless of the circumstance, situation, but we're going to get into that in a minute. Let's pray and we'll get into our passage today. Father, thank you that uh, your grace is indeed abundant no matter where we find ourselves. Now, the, the problem is quite often we don't see it, we don't recognize it. Uh, we need you to open our eyes. Not only in those situations, but even now, we need you to open our eyes. We're gathered together here and we've, we've come, we've left many different situations and we've come together in this building, in this room. But the situations still can weigh on us. They can pull at us. They can not only distract us, they can sometimes demoralize us, uh, Father. And the distraction that even good situations can bring are things that we need to be careful of. So as we look into your word today, I pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to you, that above all, we would be people who would rejoice, uh, people who... Um, Know what it means to have a relationship with you and to grow in that. Not oblivious to what's going on around us, but even more important, not oblivious to you who is with us through all that goes on around us. 
So open your word and your heart to us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be starting Philippians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. <coughs> the message is going to begin in verse 17, but actually we're going to start at verse uh, 1 just very quickly. We're going to back up to verse 1 and go through those. I went over this first part two weeks ago, and just to bring you up to speed, I had originally intended on this just being one message from two weeks ago and what we share today, but um, it would have been a little long, and so we slowed it down some. So these first 11 verses that we looked at two weeks ago, um, and uh, let's start, uh, verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a protection for you. Watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Jesus Christ, and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I once had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, these are the verses that we covered a couple of weeks ago. And once again, Paul is directing God's people to rejoice Maybe a little clearer for us, he is directing us to be a rejoicing people. No matter the situation, no matter the, the circumstance, to be a rejoicing people. Now, I hope that we're going to see there's three elements that we pulled out, that I pulled out of this chapter as I look at it, and they come from our relationship with God, and they're things we can rejoice in no matter what, uh, no matter what's going on. or And, and there are also things we should be growing in. But that whole grasping that reality to rejoice, overall I think that you can certainly pull more than three things from this chapter. It's just kind of the way that that I organized it stood out to me as I was studying it. Um, all of them take us back to this call in the very first verse, to rejoice in the Lord. There's the direction he pulls us, to rejoice in the Lord, that it's in the Lord where our rejoicing is to be anchored and it's where it's to come from. Now, he continues to pull us back to that same thought. Uh, to me, the rest of the chapter just unfolds really from that phrase. It's our relationship with the Lord that makes rejoicing possible. It's not the happy circumstances. It's not troubling circumstances that keep us from it, but it's that relationship with the Lord. Now, the first element from our relationship with God that we covered two weeks ago is new values, that we have new values. This calls us back to rejoice in the Lord. 
Look at verse 8 in your Bible there. It says, you know, he says, more than that. You know, he, he's, this whole thing of rejoicing in the Lord, that, that's central to the whole chapter. Verse 8, he says, to rejoice in the Lord, you know, more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, there's value in knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, so you see, I am rejoicing in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in him because of the value that comes from knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's all tied together. He's, he's not just, he's not throwing out separate things. It is all tied back into this whole thing of, of this relationship with the Lord. That when we are in the Lord, you see, that brings value. And we, the value comes from knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, calls us back to that thing of rejoicing in him. Continue to rejoice because you value God and your relationship with him. Because of that value that is there of your relationship with God, we're saved from our sins strictly because of what Christ did on the cross and God reaching out to us in grace. Verses 4 to 6, now if you look at verse 4, it's a very clear example of misplaced value. <coughs> misplaced value. He says, although I once had confidence in the flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. He had confidence in the flesh. I thought this was going to work. <coughs> Excuse me. He had confidence in the flesh. And it's that confidence, you know, that in, that is in the flesh, flesh that he realized was misplaced. It needs to be in the Lord. That is this relationship in the Lord that that is that he's drawing his attention to. And you have here that th- those misplaced values of outward accomplishments. It's not the things that he's accomplished, and it's it's you know it's it would be those outside accomplishments miss the necessary changes in value that are brought about from a relationship with the Lord. We, we put confidence in those things. He said, this is where I had my confidence. And it's our righteousness, our standing with God. It comes from the relationship with Christ, not something we earned, not something we deserve, not something that comes by what we've accomplished. It's nothing that comes from our efforts. When we come to, into a relationship with Jesus, spending time with him, him working in our lives, we develop new values. Now, our new values help us face what comes along, no longer bound to the values of this world, which is what he's had there, the values from the world of what he had earned uh, in his mind. But it's the values that are found in the Lord. Now, if you want more on these verses, listen to the message from two weeks ago or online, or you can get a copy of it from uh, the guys in the sound booth, and that'll give you a little bit more on these first 11 verses. Now, verse 12 is where we're really picking up today. Let's uncover this second element. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, 
we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Now, again, I want you to see, I want you to see how this ties back to the call in verse 1 to rejoice in the Lord. That's the essential connection. Look at verse 12. He says, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You see, it's in the Lord because he is in the Lord. He's been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So it's in the Lord. Verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus, in the Lord. You see, there's that connection. The second element that that I see coming out in this verse here, in these verses here, is really new energy. That connection with, with God, the connection with Christ brings new energy. And he says, I know about Paul here, he wants to make sure the Philippians know he has not reached perfection. You know, that he is, he still has growing to do. Now, in Corinth, there was a struggle going on because some felt they had reached perfection. And Paul addressed that in the Corinthian church. And as he was writing to the Corinthian church and trying to, to straighten them out uh, about the fact that they had not reached perfection yet, in fact, uh, they had some growing to do. He wants to make sure, it seems, that this same thought wasn't prevalent and wasn't going to take control here in Philippi. So he writes them and he tells them, I, have, I haven't even, I, I've not reached the goal. I'm not fully mature. Notice what he says. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it. I make every effort. You know, everything. It, it, when I, he says, when I, when I think that I've run out of things, there's still more. There's still more effort I can put into this. Every effort, what it really means to us is you're not done trying yet. You're not done trying to get better. You are not done trying to get more like Christ yet. Because there's every effort. Now what this also means for us, and don't miss this part, it, acts, it means that we are actually putting forth effort. It's not that we're sitting around like waiting for the bus and standing at the bus stop twiddling our thumbs till the bus comes by. That's not what it's about. It's the fact that we are putting forth some energy. We are putting forth some effort, not just sitting back waiting for God to do all the work. Our level of effort shows our seriousness with God. And our lack of effort, our lack of effort shows our lack of seriousness about a relationship with God. If today is the only day that you've opened up the Bible... I would ask you to examine the level of your seriousness about your relationship with God. Think about this now. I talk to Ginny more than once a week. See, it makes sense, doesn't it? I interact with her more than once a week more than once a day because there's a relationship there and a relationship that I, I, I want to keep going and keep growing and I, I want to be able to move ahead still in that relationship and in my life I want to move ahead with her 
It's the same thing in our relationship with God. If you want to move ahead and in and with your relationship with God and move ahead having that relationship with him, you will have that. You will put forth this every effort. You don't stop. The level of effort you put in shows the seriousness with which you have a relationship with God. And your lack of effort shows a lack of seriousness. You may think, oh, no, preacher, you know, you're lying to yourself if you, if you're, you know, if, if you think you can do it without any effort there. No matter what we claim, if you don't have some effort going into it, you may not have the relationship you think you have. Now, the reason that he makes every effort is because his relationship with Jesus has given him new energy. And he directs that new energy. You know, energy with no direction can get you into trouble in a hurry. I wanted to get a, have a video here for you, but I, I don't. But you've probably seen it before. If you've ever watched funny, America's Funniest Videos, I watch that show because, okay, I, I, I like to laugh at other people's misfortune. I'm sorry. Um, I watched the Three Stooges growing up. Mo, Larry, Curly, well, and Shemp. So there's four Three Stooges. I didn't quite figure that one out. But, uh, you know, so, so the, you know, one of the things, you know, that's in there often, these guys or kids or adults with a little dirt bike or, or, or a motorcycle or something in their backyard. Now, see, some of you already know where this is going. And all of a sudden, and they take off across the yard and bam, crash into a fence or, you know, or something like that. And that's, that, that there's a picture of power with, with no direction. With no direction. You know, and power with no direction is going to get you in trouble. It's going to cause a problem. What he's talking about here, what he's talking about here is focused energy. He says, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. He directs his energy. Focused energy gets results. I was going to bring a nail up here with me, but I thought about it once and forgot about it till just now. So you take a nail. I'm talking about, you know, this piece of iron, you know, and I can lay it here all I want to. And you know what it's going to do? Lay there. It may rust until I put some energy and not just any energy, but focused energy. You know, the, the, the focused energy that drives a nail, it's focused right on that hammerhead. And it's the energy that comes, it didn't come from a hammer and it comes and it goes down and it comes into your arm and it, and it's, a, and it's that focused energy that comes down and drives that nail in. Focused energy gets results. Your car runs on, if you have a four-cylinder car, it's four of these, of six, six of these. If you have an eight-cylinder car, well, I'm envious. Uh, but, you know, then you have eight of these. You have eight, you have that, that many explosions going on in your car repeatedly. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's going and it's going and it's going and it's going and it's, and it's, it's an explosion. But it's, it's a, it's directed. It's focused. And the parts of that car, and they, and you know, and the, and the pistons go up and down, and they drive that crankshaft, and that goes through the transmission, and it drives, it drives, and it turns the wheels. It's focused energy. 
Focused energy brings results. This one thing I do. You say, what's that one thing? It's pursuing that relationship with Christ. Part of how he goes about it, part of how he goes about it, he says, it's forgetting what's behind. I'm focusing my energy on Christ. That's, that's the one thing. That focused energy on Christ. Part of what I do with that, he says, is I forget what's behind. It's neglecting, no longer caring for. The word means to be no long, no longer be influenced or affected by. Think about this. When it talks, when scripture talks about God forgetting our sin, that's, that's what it talks about. And it's like, he doesn't remember him anymore. Yes, he does. Don't be a knucklehead. That's not what the scripture is saying when he says that he forgets it. What, you think all of a sudden God became senile or something? That's not what he's talking about. When scripture says that, what it's talking about is right there. It's exactly what this word means. That it's no longer influenced. God did not choose to have a faulty memory. There is no fault in God. Rather, it is that God is no longer affected or influenced by our sin in his attitude toward us. Because of what Christ has done. Because of what Jesus has done, he's, and we come to faith in him, he is no longer affected or influenced by our sin. So he says, forgetting, notice, what is behind. It's not that we are unaffected by our past. What it is, is that we are not living in our past. That is not where we're residing. We are not held back by our past. We do not have to let our past hang around our neck like a millstone pulling us down. But in this verse here, what Paul is really talking about, what's behind for Paul is not that he quit working against Jesus. That's the first thing that comes to our mind. You know, and he did that with great energy and effort. In fact, he mentions that briefly in verse 6 when he says regarding the zeal persecuting the church. <clears throat> you see, but he's already left that behind. <clears throat> what he's saying here is that he hasn't been held back by what he's already accomplished. What he's saying is he's talking about not, he's talking about forgetting the change and the progress that he's already made in pursuing Christ. He doesn't want to stop and coast. I'm making every effort, he says. He says, I'm not going to be held back by what, by how much I've already grown. I'm not going to sit back and coast. He wants to move ahead in the reality of his relationship with Jesus. It's not that I've made it this far, and you know what? This is pretty stinking good. Look at this. I'm not killing Christians anymore. I am not chasing them around. I am not beating them down. And he's not patting himself on the back. What he's saying is, I have not arrived. I can't stop. I can't coast. I cannot just rest on what I've done before. The mature believer will not rest on past obedience. The mature believer will work hard 
to maintain purity, to stand blameless until the day of Christ, until the day in which Jesus returns or the day in which we stand in his presence. He says, I will not stop. I will keep going. We can be held back by good things in our past and not progress in our faith as we should. Oh, the good old days. Remember, remember when we used to sing the hymns. Oh, what is that? That's what church was all about. Remember when we used to... Remember when I did... You see, if all we're doing is remembering, if all we're doing is is looking backwards here, we have a problem. If the only time, if the only time you can remember God working in or through your life, if the only time you can remember that is more than a week ago, then you need to get moving. You need to push forward. You need to stretch to lay hold of what he has for you. Now, don't start pouting because really what might happen is you just really might need to open your eyes to see what God's already doing around you and maybe what God is doing in you and through you. But also you may need to get moving. You may need to put in more effort, every effort. Why? Because I, I haven't taken hold of this. I forget what's behind. You know, he, he's, he's, God's not done with you yet. You know how I know that? Because you're still here. If he was done with you, he'd have punched your ticket. When I first came here 30 years ago, 29 years ago, Lorraine Eby used to sit about where Barb Fisher is. And some of you, okay, six of you know Mrs. Eby. Uh, Lorraine Eby was, man, I think she was 112 when I came. No, no, seriously, she was like 90, though. And she was a tall, she was a tall woman. Uh, always came across to me as a proper lady. I only knew her as, you know, 90, and uh, I haven't met many 90-year-olds that I don't think of as pretty proper people. But anyway, uh, she was a tall lady and had, like, really thick glasses and uh, white curly hair. And, uh, could have been a perm for all I know. But at any rate, I remember, you know, talking with her, and I'd come up the aisle, and I'd stop and ask her how she's doing, and she'd say, well, you know, I don't know why God still has me here. But she didn't stop there. And she'd say, but there must be a reason because I'm still here. And I thought, what a great outlook. What a great attitude. I don't know why God has me here, but it must be something because I'm still here. You know, because I am still here. God is not done with you yet because you are still here. We need to set our direction and we need to move forward. We need to move forward. The group of guys I meet with on Monday evenings um, has been a great study, by the way. But 
um, we watch a video, then we discuss what we've seen. And in the in the uh, video this past Monday, um, they had a section where Bill Bennett used to be. I think was was he the uh, Secretary of Education? Yeah, um, and Bill Bennett was there, and he was talking about Justice Holmes. Justice Holmes was a Supreme Court justice in the early 1900s, I believe. Um, and he retired after 30 years on the, on the uh, Supreme Court. He retired, and he was 90 years old. And Bill Bennett was saying that uh, one of his clerks went to visit Justice Holmes, and he's 90 years old, and he's retired. And as he comes in, he notices that Justice Holmes is just starting a 600-page book. And he says to him, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're 90 years old. What are you reading this book for? You may not even live long enough to finish this book. And he says, Justice Holmes looked at him, and he said, to improve my mind. What a great outlook. Uh, the empty spot in the back where Corliss used to sit. And I was looking at that this morning. Thinking about him. 95 years old. He read his Bible still. For hours a day. He still wanted to know Jesus more. Walked into the emergency room. When he went into the hospital. Three days before he passed into glory. He's laying in bed. and He's talking. Seemed good. His son and daughter-in-law were sitting over there, and I was standing next to the bed. They said something, and I looked over at, you know, because they're talking, you look at somebody. And when I did, I noticed on a table right next to him was Corliss's Bible. When they were loading him up in the ambulance at the nursing home, he made sure they brought his Bible with him. Ninety-five years old. You are still here. Move forward. You need to grow. Instead of being chained to our past, we need, we need to be reaching forward to what is ahead. In and because of our relationship with Christ. Reaching, stretching forward. We're free to leave the past behind, so let go of it. Let go of the past. Now, this does not mean that you've forgotten it. What it means is you are choosing not to live back there. You know, say, what about those pleasant memories? Keep them. Enjoy them. Just don't live back there. It is no disrespect to those that you have loved. You know, part of the reason you are who you are is because of your time with them. Now, move on with a life changed by your past, but not chained to your past don't live back there 
even a good past. Notice what he says, that we are reaching forward. That means to stretch oneself forward toward the goal, stretching toward what is ahead. My goodness, don't become stagnant. You know, don't become stagnant. <clears throat> this is a picture of running a race. A runner does not run, does not run by looking backwards. You cannot run a race by looking backwards. When you run a race, your view is ahead, and it, it is that view that is pulling you forward, really, because you're looking, you're looking to the finish line, and it is that view that is pulling you forward. You notice I put in the bulletin that I'm thinking of doing a marathon again. Okay, so just so you know, I, you know, when we were working on the bulletin and, you know, I was working on the sermon at the same time and, and I thought, I could do this. I could do this. And, uh, then as I said, I talked to Jenny more than once a day. And as I talked to God's gift to me later that day, and, uh, she reminded me, of how long it takes to uh, get ready and train for a marathon and things. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do a marathon. Uh, I am going to try to do a half, but only if it's not going to get in the way. But every race I've entered, I've never been in first place. I just haven't. I have a picture from... Uh, the last marathon I ran in Fort Wayne, anyway, um, and it was interesting enough, been referred to as the Fort Wayne Marathon. Uh, but we, it was with um, IPFW's arts department, and so we started at IPFW and ran down through the city and then back up and finished at IPFW. Well, we're running this race, and so you leave IPFW and. They stopped traffic on Coliseum Boulevard so we could run from the campus across the bridge and then into Johnny Appleseed Park. Well, on the front, let me, I can, I can get this for you. It's a, it's, I have it right here. You know, it's one of those things you, you hang on to and, and, uh, Cheryl saved this for me. And this is the new Sentinel. And so here's the, here's the picture of the marathon on the front of the new Sentinel. Here's the guy that is first in this picture. It's me. <laughs> Peter's buddy saw this and he called up Peter. He said, Hey, I just saw the picture in the paper. Did your dad win? You know, I mean, he knew the answer before he asked. Um, I wasn't in first place. What it is is the way the picture was taken. You just can't see the people in front of me. You know, so I hang on to that. Uh, you know, because it's, uh, it's the only time I looked like I was in first place. <laughs> but while I didn't, while I was never in first place in any of the races, what I did do in every single one was I ran to finish well. That's what I did. I ran to do the best that I could. 
And I was tired. You know, I was, I was tired, but I wanted to run well each time. Out of the seven full marathons I've done, there is over an hour between my best finish time and my slowest finish time. Over an hour between those two. But in each race, I gave my best. I did my best. Sometimes we're going to do be able to do better than at other times. But in all times, be moving forward. He says, you know, with this new energy, notice what he does. He says, I pursue the prize. That was a word that was used of one army chasing another army in battle. How, how, how determined is an army chasing another army in battle. They are chasing them with the, they are chasing them knowing that in their minds this is a matter of life and death. So when he's talking about pursuing, when he's talking about pursuing here, he's saying, you know, that you're going, you're going to chase after this like it's a matter of life or death. You're pursuing it, a serious, extended, prolonged effort for what? The prize, that prize of God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What you're pursuing, <coughs> you are running, you are running with what's in front of you is that expected reward. All of you guys who have been in men's fraternity with me, you know, and you understand what that's talking about there. That expected reward. Knowing what God has for us. Knowing what Christ has for us. Knowing that this earth is temporary. And what we are striving for is not found here. But when we leave this earthly life, when we enter into eternity with Christ, then we will experience all he has for us. To think that we are going to receive our reward here is extremely short-sighted and it actually underestimates what God has for you. All those, all, you know, all these guys preaching a prosperity gospel and, you know, God has this for you now. It's extremely undersells all that God has for you. Verse 15. All who are mature should think this way, he says, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. And people look at that and they think it's almost like Paul saying, hey, you don't get it. When you agree with me, then you'll be right. But realize what he's saying here is, you know, that we need to understand we are not all growing at the same rate in our relationship with Christ. We're not. There are different levels. Know that he will continue to help us understand and apply more about what it means to have a relationship with him. In verse 16, he says, but live up to what you've already attained. Now, this does not mean to find your own truth, all right? That's a, that's a phrase they use now. Well, that's my truth. You know, that's what those who ignore God say today. Guess what? Truth is true. And, you know, someone's rejection of the truth does not make it less true. Truth doesn't change because it makes someone uncomfortable. Jesus was very clear when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is. 
no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the truth, and anything that contradicts or goes against Jesus is not truth. I don't care how eloquently they state it. I don't care how many times they say it. I don't care how loud they say it. I don't care how many people say it with them. If they are denying Jesus, if they are denying Christ and what God is and what God says, then it is not truth. He says we should live up to whatever truth we've attained. So live up to whatever you've learned about Jesus. Live up to that and how he calls you to live in this world. Now, certainly we want to and need to continue to grow, but also start living more of what you already know about Christ. Getting getting Christ into our living is what we need. Not just getting it into our head, but into our living. Our third element we're going to cover in five minutes. So verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my brothers, you who are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Our third element to remember is our goal. Our goal. And again, these verses tie us right back into verse 1. Chapter 3, where he says, here he says in verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, In this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, he's pulling it all back there. He's telling us here to learn from others that you see living for God. Let them be your mentor. Let them be an example to you. Let them help you grow closer to Christ. <clears throat> the goal is not to be like the person you see, you know, but pick up some of their habits that might help you grow closer to Christ. See what it is that's pulling them closer to Jesus, you know, and, and let that help you grow closer to Jesus. He says, verse 18, I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. You live as an enemy of the cross when you ignore God. When you ignore God and choose to follow something or someone other than Christ, then you are living as an enemy of the cross. <clears throat> Verse 19, he says, their end is destruction. <clears throat> their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They're focused on earthly things. See, they're, the, the, the whole wrong focus there. They're, but notice, he says, the end of their life, it's destruction, utter ruin. It's utter ruin. Now, the word means, uh, it it's, indicates a loss of well-being. Not a loss of being. You understand. Hell is real. So when he's talking about their end is destruction, it's a loss of well 
being. It's a loss of what brings what brings peace and sanity. Notice the problem is that they're focused on earthly things. On those things without God, those things in opposition to God. This is what they're focused on. The difference is if we include God in our outlook and if we include God in our decision making. Now, instead of stretching for the heavenly calling, they lower their goal and they strive for the things of this world. Fame, possessions, position, ease, being accepted. Notice what he says. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our goal. (coughs) Standing before God when our time on earth is finished. We are only passing through this life. Remember, we are residents of heaven. Live in the knowledge that this place is not your permanent residence. In that, you can rejoice. And that should influence all of your life. He says, so then, my brothers, you who are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Because of our new values from being in a relationship with Christ, we can stand firm. Because of our new energy as we grow in Christ, we can stand firm. From being focused on the new goal of standing before Christ, we can stand firm. And in that, we can rejoice. Let's pray.